All throughout the world today, the church celebrates Word of God Sunday, which was implemented several years ago by Pope Francis to really focus on the importance of sacred scripture. Realizing that 2,000 years, well actually more than 2,000 years of sacred tradition uh, recorded in scripture is not just about a history book. It's not just to tell us what used to happen. It's not to tell us what is going to happen, but it's to tell us what happens now. The Lord speaking to us now, relating his presence, the truth to us now in our very lives. And one of the reasons I love sacred scripture is because there are literally hundreds of different characters that we hear throughout all 70 something books of scripture. And there is somebody in scripture for each and every one of us that we can relate to personally. Probably several different people but there are always those few that really stand out to us. The heroes, maybe even the problems, the sinners, Jesus himself, those that he calls by name, the people that are just mentioned once or twice and then we never see them again. We all relate to somebody. And one of the people I relate to the most is the one we heard about in the first reading, Jonah, for two particular reasons. You all know the story of Jonah and the whale or the big fish. It's right before the reading that we heard tonight and then right after the reading that we heard tonight is the other part of it. But the two reasons I really connect with Jonah is because I love to try to run away from what the Lord is asking me to do. And the other side of it is I really, really like to complain about those things too. Because as you know, Jonah was called by God and he said, nope, hopped in a boat, tried to sail away. The boat sinks, the big fish comes, vomits him back up on the land and say, you're going to do this. I'm calling you to do it. He he tried to run. The other half of it is he complained about every little thing. Right after this very passage where it says God chose not to punish this town of Nineveh, Jonah looks at him and he says, I knew you were going to do this. I know you're a merciful God. I knew it. And I'm mad at that because why did you couldn't just do it by yourself? I knew that was going to happen. Then God provides some shade for him to rest, and he's very thankful, and then that plant dies, and he goes, I knew you were going to do this. He provides something else, and Jonah enjoys it, then it disappears, and he goes, I knew this was going to happen. He tried to run, and he likes to complain. Basically, that is the story of my entire life. If you were here at Mass last Sunday, you know that this is the second of two Sundays that the Diocese of Baton Rouge is rolling out called Called by Name, an emphasis on the need for diocesan priests in our diocese. And so what we've been asked to do throughout the diocese, each priest, is to share a little bit of our vocation story, our testimony, and just to present the truth of the gospel in terms of how we've experienced it and what led us to the altar to become a priest of Jesus Christ. And I apologize if I get loud and obnoxious and passionate, but obviously this is something that is very dear to my heart. And I usually start my vocation story by saying, I never wanted to be a priest. I didn't want to be a priest. I had thoughts of it when I was younger, going to Mass with my grandparents. I insisted on going with them and not the rest of the family for some reason. I could see the priest, didn't know what he did. I just knew it was this guy wearing funny clothes talking about Jesus. I'm like, okay, I can do that maybe. And then it fell away. I had my own plans later. Until in eighth grade at my home parish at St. Joseph in French Settlement, I go to confession one day during Lent. And the pastor at the time gives me absolution. He says, before you go, I have a question for you. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm an altar server. Maybe he needs a server for a funeral or a wedding. I go to adoration. Maybe somebody dropped out and they need me to fill in. I'm a lector. Maybe they're short people at mass, something with the youth group. I don't know what it is. And he says, all those different things. You're a faithful altar server and you're always here with the youth group. You're the youngest person by like 30 years that comes to adoration. You're a lector. You're just around all the time. Have you ever considered the priesthood? 
I got to be honest, that was the last possible thing that I wanted to hear out of that man's mouth. Have you ever considered the priesthood? And it went in one ear and out the other one. I spit it out the other one, basically. I said, sure, I'll think about it. Knowing good and well, I didn't want that. Because in my mind, see, I'm the oldest of two children. I have one younger sister. So in my mind, okay, if I become a priest, my parents will not have grandchildren from me. I'm the only son. I'm not going to carry on the family name, although there's 13 other first cousins that have the same last name. That's in no danger. My sister won't have nieces or nephews from me, and all of that is true. Obviously, that did happen. But I came to realize that those were kind of irrational fears. They weren't really something to be concerned with. It was just an excuse that I was using to try to run from the Lord, get in the boat, and sail away like Jonah. And then something even crazier happened. The wonderful, sweet, holy, pious little old ladies at church, one by one throughout the weeks and months and years would mention to me, Matthew, I heard you were considering the priesthood. I never told them that. Matthew, I think you should be a priest. I really think you should consider that. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, I really think you should get out of my face and leave me alone. You should mind your own business. That'd be great. Again, because I didn't want the priesthood. And fast forward, I was on this, this roller coaster, it felt like, because in high school, things were going great here, and then they plummeted and all the different things. I was on top of the world at some point. My grades were up. I was getting all signed up to take an off-campus course during my senior year of high school to become a registered pharmacy technician by the time I graduated because I wanted to be a pharmacist. Why? It's not the priesthood. Good paycheck. Had nothing to do with anything with the pharmacy industry. I was in a wonderful relationship with a beautiful, holy Catholic girl. All of these things started to plummet around me. My credits didn't work out to where I could take the off-campus course. My grades started to slip because I got lazy and didn't want to read more stuff or write more papers. The relationship I was in ended. All these different things, and I was on a roller coaster. And finally, when I was 15, Holy Thursday night, my grandmother and I had this tradition growing up of going to all the Triduum liturgies for Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Vigil. So at St. Michael the Archangel Church in Convent, Louisiana, after they processed the Blessed Sacrament around the church at the end of the Mass of the Lord's Supper, they brought him to the Lord's Grotto, which is behind the high altar, and there was a vigil kept all night in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. And so I go in there basically just to scream at Jesus, as I had done for two years. I said, what kind of God are you that you give me all these wonderful things and then you just snatch it away? I thought you're supposed to be good. I thought you're supposed to be loving. You're supposed to fulfill me and all these different things that I'm desiring in life and you just took it away. But you know what? I'm tired of fighting with you. I'm tired of trying to bargain because that never worked out in my favor. So whatever you want me to do, please, for the love of God, just tell me what it is. Finally, I gave him the freedom to just call me gently. In the soft, still silence of my heart, I just heard that phrase, give it a shot. Give it a shot. Be open. He never once said, you're going to be a priest. It's about time. You're going to do this. Give it a shot, he said. Be open. Follow after me. And in that moment, I felt every kind of emotion that you could imagine. There was some happiness because thankfully, finally, you said something and there's clarity. There was sadness because this is not what I want to do. There was fear because I don't know what this is going to mean. Eight years in school is a long time. How am I going to tell my parents? What about all the other plans that I set for myself? Little by little by little, I started to come up with all these excuses, but I refused to go back on my word. So I get in touch with the vocation director, and before I know it, 
I was meeting with the vocation director and the diocesan vocations board. I met with the bishop. I went to a psychological evaluation, which happens to everybody. I'm not, I promise I'm not crazy. Every seminarian does that. And little by little, then I get an acceptance letter from the bishop saying, congratulations, you're a seminarian of the Diocese of Baton Rouge. And I go, crud. I guess it's real now. So I graduate high school in 2012, go straight to St. Ben's, to St. Joseph Seminary College in Covington. And thus began eight years of this wonderful experience. Because seminary is where I actually fell in love with the Lord Jesus. I always knew him, I always loved him, but in a real and particular way, I started to learn what it meant to know and to love the sacred heart of our Lord. I knew what it meant to be called by name, not just, hey, you with the face, come and follow me, but Matthew, follow me. And yes, it was a struggle. And I asked a question the same, uh, a lot of the times, that same question that I ask when I read this gospel passage from Mark. Because these first four men, these first four apostles that the Lord calls by name, Andrew and Simon, who became Peter, James and John, follow me. There's a lot to be said about that. There's a lot to be said about them. And that's because there's actually nothing to be said about them. What's special? There's some rugged fishermen. There's no special aptitude. There's no dramatic fame. There's no prosperity. There's no special talent. There's nothing that set them apart. So why, Jesus, did you pick them? And in prayer, I asked this question, like, why did you pick me? I didn't want this. I didn't ask for this. I'm not worthy of this. And he says, I'm still calling you by name. I still want you. Believe me, I ask myself that question almost every day. Why am I called to this? And I don't think I'll ever know the answer to that on this side of heaven. But I have faith that the Lord has an answer, and I will find out one day. Before I knew it, it was August 1st of 2020, and I was at the back of the cathedral downtown. It was the day of my ordination. Smack dab in the middle of that time, which shall not be named, when everybody is six feet apart, big mask on your face. I couldn't believe it. Eight years had gone by, I'd fallen in love with the Lord, and I actually desired it. I wanted to be a priest. At that point, I had chosen it. No one forced me to do it, but I had willingly chosen it. And there are two things I remember from my ordination, walking down the aisle towards the altar with this emotion welling up from my heart, knowing that my life was about to change for eternity, literally. And then kneeling before the bishop later in the mass as he outstretched his hands and prayed the prayer of consecration over me. And for eight years, I prayed with that prayer. And it's this beautiful long prayer where the bishop recounts all of salvation history when the Lord called Abraham and Isaac and the Levite priests and all the prophets and all these people, the apostles, to send forward to continue his ministry, his kingdom, his church. And then that one moment that changes my soul for eternity when he says, give him the dignity of the priesthood. And I heard Bishop Duca say it. Give him the dignity of the priesthood. And in that instant, I was a priest of Jesus Christ. And then for the next 20 minutes, ugly cry. That mask was thrown away because it was full of all kind of gunk. Where that came from, I don't know. But it was the most meaningful moment of my life. Don't get me wrong, I never asked for the priesthood. I didn't want to be a priest. But throughout my relationship with Jesus Christ and him revealing himself to me even in my brokenness and my sinfulness and my imperfection I realized that he desired me and called me and I desired him 
and that this priesthood, this gift that I am completely unworthy of, that he continues to bestow upon me, is how I can best love him. That moment when I was 15, in the Lord's grotto and convent, looking at the Lord and saying, I'll give it a shot if this is what you want. It was terrifying. But it's a decision that I regret a grand total of zero times. Don't get me wrong, priesthood is very difficult. It's a life of sacrifice. Literally at our ordination, we lay on the floor before the altar to lay down our lives. There are times where I get a phone call and rush off to the hospital in the middle of the night to prepare someone for death. There are times where I get to rejoice with families at the birth of a newborn baby, at a wedding, just day-to-day life and being entering into that family by their invitation because I get to love them as Christ loves them. There are times where I have to get out of my car in the middle of the interstate because there's a collision and I have to prepare somebody to meet the Lord because they're dying on I-10. It is a life of suffering and it's a life of joy. It's a life of sacrifice, but it is such an immense life of fulfillment. And I would trade it for absolutely nothing. I love who I am. I love being a priest. I love what I do. And I love each and every person entrusted to me, which is you. I promise you that I would do anything and everything to make the love of Jesus Christ, the love of the sacred heart known to each and every person, because that is a love that redeems us. That is a love that calls us by name to get out of the boat, unlike Jonah, to get out of the boat like Andrew and Simon and James and John and to actually follow him and give our entire lives for him, knowing that there is nothing to be afraid of. Yes, there's going to be suffering and there's going to be sacrifice, but we cannot focus so much on the sacrifice and what we give up and what we say no to that it totally blinds us to what we say yes to and the grace and the gift that the Lord gives us, though we are totally unworthy. I do not deserve to be a priest. And for whatever reason, the Lord calls me to it. I don't deserve to stand at this altar and turn bread and wine into the body, the blood, the soul, and the divinity of Christ with you and for you. I don't deserve to sit in the confessional yesterday for three solid hours to absolve sin and to say over and over and over, the Lord has freed you from your sins. Go in peace. I don't deserve to baptize people and give them eternal life. I don't deserve to prepare a soul for death. I don't deserve to mourn with the family when they lose a loved one. I don't deserve any of it. I'm totally unworthy of it. But the Lord does not call us to the exclusion of our humanity. My strengths and weaknesses, my talents, my challenges, it will all be with me till the day I die. But I hope and pray that when I do die and face the Lord at my judgment, I can say with all sincerity and the fullness of my heart, Lord, I gave it my all. You called me, I answered as best I could. I worked and I prayed, I sacrificed and I offered the sacraments, and I pray that each and every soul that I came in contact with as your priest, Jesus, now knows you in a deeper way. So why do I say all of this? Because we need priests. We need many more priests. I meet people all the time, oh, you're the pastor at LSU, how many other priests are with you? I'm like, nope, just me. I said, that's a big thing to do. He says, yeah, if you got an extra priest or 12, send them my way. I'll be honest with you, I tell this story sparingly, but I guess this is the moment the Lord wants me to share it. Last April, I get a call from Bishop Duca, and he says, hey, I want to talk to you about your assignment. And in my mind, I go, well, this is it. I got to say goodbye to Christ the King, and I'm being reassigned somewhere else. 
He says, one of you, you or Father Andrew, is going to have to leave because we need priests elsewhere. I'm thinking that I'm going to keep you at Christ the King. Can we set up a meeting to meet sometime this week? And I said, absolutely. I'll be at your house in 10 minutes. Drove my happy self, my nervous self, across the lakes there, rang his doorbell. And he said, Father Andrew has done a wonderful job. That is a holy and pious man, and he is very gifted. But I need those gifts in another parish. Do you think that you could step up and be the pastor at Christ the King? And I looked at him and I said, Bishop, absolutely not. I love Christ the King. I love the students. I love the people. I love everything that I do. Do I want to stay there? Yes, with every ounce of my being. But to be the pastor? I said, Bishop, I haven't been ordained for a full three years. At the time, I'm like, I'm 28. I am a child. The students don't think so, but I am young. I'm just a kid. And he kind of smirked and he said, I know. Who better to love the kids than a kid himself? Like, fine. Thank you, Jesus, for the humility. I said, Bishop, can I discern it a little bit? He says, no, I've discerned it for you. Congrats, you're going to be the pastor of Christ the King. And the rest is history. I stand before you tonight to ask you to very prayerfully consider who among us might be invited by the Lord to discern the priesthood, to give it a shot as I did, to not run away like Jonah, but to answer him. Because meeting the Lord and following him demands a break from the past. These fishermen left their nets behind and they didn't go back. It demands an, at least an openness to the beauty that the Lord invites us into. And I am not so naive as to think that there are not men in our very congregation of Christ the King that the Lord is calling by name and inviting particularly to be open to this potential call. And so what I ask of you is to prayerfully consider, is there someone that comes to mind when you think, what is it that I would want in my parish priest? Not just a good speaker. We have plenty of those. Not just a guy who can cut up and be real and talk about Jesus. We have plenty of those as well. That's important. But what qualities do you desire in your parish priest? Intimately and devotedly knowing the Lord Jesus and knowing his sacred heart. Laying down his life for the good of salvation of souls. Building the kingdom. What is it that you desire in your priest? You answer that question, if there's somebody or several people who come to mind, what I ask you to do is find me after Mass, and I have little cards that the diocese provided for us, to give us their information just so that as their pastor, I can lovingly and gently reach out and say, someone thinks very highly of, of you and thinks that the Lord may be calling you to discern priesthood and to walk with him from there. I'm not presenting a contract. I don't have applications to the seminary. I'm not asking for a blood oath. If you or someone that you know your brother, your cousin, your son, your nephew, your grandson, classmate, roommate. If there's somebody that comes to mind when you think of what you desire in your parish priest, ask them, just as my pastor did almost 20 years ago. Ask them, just as John the Baptist says, see that man? Behold the Lamb of God. Go to him. Just as Jesus did, hey, y'all, with the boats, the nets, follow me. The question has to be asked. If someone comes to mind, please find me after Mass and I'll get you to fill out one of those cards just so that I can reach out and accompany them. 
If you see the good that's coming from Christ the King, I hope you do. If you see the good that's coming from the Diocese of Baton Rouge with good, holy priests, praise the Lord, and we need many, many more. Not just priests, but devoted priests, happy priests, healthy priests, holy, saintly priests. This is a life that I would trade for absolutely nothing. And I thank you for the gift that you are to the church, to Christ the King, but specifically the gift that you are to me. Most of y'all I've never met, never made eye contact, never uh, learned your name, never shaken your hand. And yet you have a particular place in my heart. And I love you. And I desire all the best for you to know the Lord, to choose him so that one day we can stand together for all eternity in the gates of heaven. Thank you for the gift of who you are. I ask humbly for your prayers for your poor pastor. Know of my prayers for you. And know that together we can raise up from among us good leaders, good priests for Jesus Christ. There's nothing to be afraid of. As Jesus says in the gospel there, the harvest is very abundant, but the laborers, very few. Consider it. Pray about it. Lean into the heart of our Lord without fear, with all boldness and courage, to listen to who it is that he calls from among us and calls by name. Thank you for listening to the Christ the King at LSU podcast. The ministry here is possible thanks to our generous supporters. If you would like to become a CTK Golden Giver or learn more, please check our website. Your monthly support of $10, $25, or more reaches hearts across LSU's campus and beyond. Details can be found on the website at www.ctklsu.org.